Well, today we're going to continue in our series on the Good Shepherd. And we've been looking at some of the um, solutions that the shepherd has for the most common difficulties and uh, stresses that we have in our, in our life. Can you uh, bring me down just a hair? A little kind of echoing around here. Okay, you guys can hear me? Okay. Now, last week we, uh, we looked at Psalm 23, and um, we saw the shepherd's solution for, for worry. We learned that we don't have to worry because the Lord is our shepherd, and he provides for all of our needs. And today we're going to continue looking at Psalm 23, and we're going to see God's solution or the shepherd's solution for waywardness. Now, keep in mind that but Psalm 23 is not the shepherd's psalm, it's the sheep's psalm. It looks at life's pers- uh, life from the perspective of the sheep and how in the same way that a shepherd cares for his sheep, God cares for us as his people. And David is just using this incredible analogy. And this all really makes a lot of sense when you remember the nature of sheep. You know, uh, sheep are dumb they're dependent, they're defenseless, they're distracted, and they are directionless. One 4-H site said that, um, said, quote, we like sheep, but never bet money on a lamb finding its way out of a maze. Uh, that was their introduction to how dumb sheep are. And sheep often move with their Heads down, you know, just taking small steps, a little nibble here, a little nibble there. And then they kind of look up and they realize, well, they're a long way from the shepherd. They're, they're lost. See, sheep aren't like other animals that have a strong uh, homing sense. I mean, horses come back to the stable. Uh, cows come back to the barn. Some migratory birds fly thousands of miles with uncanny accuracy. But sheep have to be literally sought out and brought back to the fold. Sheep are not only uh, dumb, they're stubborn. They're determined to go their own way. In fact, the best description that I know of a stubborn person is found in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And, you know, that's the way of depravity. That's the way of stubborn selfishness. That is the way of waywardness. Uh, The American Heritage Dictionary uh, tells us that wayward means given to or marked by willful, often perverse deviation from what is desired, expected, or required in order to gratify one's own impulses or inclinations. Now, how often do you find yourself straying? How, do you, how often do you find yourself pursuing your own impulses or inclinations? You know, you're pursuing your desires, and one day you look up and you realize you're a long way from the shepherd. But But there's another part of us that kind of likes where we are because we are 
pursuing our desires. We are gratifying uh, our, our desires. And, and, and there's something about us that kind of wants to stay where we are, but we think, okay, well, I'll, I'll just keep the shepherd in sight, and I'll go back one day. I'll, I'll get there. I will return. But for some reason, we don't get there. We, we begin to justify, you know, where we are and what we're doing. After all, I mean, doesn't the good shepherd want me to enjoy this greener grass? Doesn't he want me to be happy? If someone suggests otherwise, well, we easily develop the attitude, well, nobody's going to tell me what to do. In fact, we kind of want to dig in sometimes when someone would point that out to us. As a wayward sheep, we not only have to be sought out, sometimes we have to be literally picked up and carried back to where we need to be. Does that sound familiar? See, our tendency is to wander away from the sheep. That, that, that's, our, that's our nature. And that's why there are so many exhortations in the Bible for us to remain focused and close to the Lord because that's our tendency is to stray. Robert Robinson wrote the words to the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Ever Blessing. You remember this, these words? Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Do you feel it? Are you prone to wander? How we're prone to to leave the God that we love? See, it reminds us of God's grace that is constantly there seeking to, to, to tie us to him because our tendency is always to wonder. So, you see, being wayward, we often need to be restored. And, and Psalm 23 says, he restores my soul. What does it mean to have your soul restored? Well, it's a picture of a sheep going its own way, only to be stopped, turned around, and going a different direction. Instead of going the, his direction that the sheep wants to go, the sheep is now going the direction that God wants him to go. In the New Testament, that's called repentance. Repentance is a change of heart, change of mind, a change of attitude that results in a difference in behavior, a change of life. And it can never work the other way around. That change can, you can't change your behavior without changing your attitude, without changing your heart. Otherwise, you can change it temporarily. Otherwise, you will be right back to the same behavior that you were just a short time ago. You'll be wandering off again. You will be wayward. Second Peter Chapter 2 and verse 22 says this, It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. Now, why do these animals return to such disgusting behavior? Because it's their nature. That's, that's their nature. They do what their nature tells them to do. That's why we always fail at self 
restoration. It can never be, I restore my soul. It always has to be, he restores my soul. And see, most people have never learned that repentance is a gift of God. He restores my soul. Acts chapter 5 and verse 31, Peter is preaching about Jesus and he says this, He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. But it, that's not just the case for Israel. That's the case for everyone else. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25, Paul says, With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Repentance is something that God grants. He is in the soul-changing business. It's an inward part of us that has to change. And when the inward part gets changed, then the outward change that God requires always follows. Changing souls is, is a tall order. Nobody can do that. Angels can't do that. Only God can change your, your soul. But God doesn't force himself on you. God restores your soul when you allow him to, when you, when you cooperate with him, when you, you submit to him. And God even gives you that grace to be able to do that. It's that grace that God provides for us. But we, on our part, we have to be willing to do that. Let's, let's look at this picture that David paints in this psalm. He pants it with very few words, but it's a, it's a powerful picture. Often a little lamb became wayward in his eating habits, and he would just simply stray from the fold, stray from the shepherd. Because remember, he eats with his head down. He's, he's following his desires, following his nose for that, for that grass. And he sees this little pa- patch here, and he moves over here, and he sees this little patch, and he eats a while, and he goes over here because that just looks good. If whatever appeals to him at the moment, whatever attracts his attention, that's where he goes. And then what does he do? Well, he looks up, and he realizes, man, he's a long way from the shepherd. Again, he's not where he needs to be. And he becomes so preoccupied in his eating that, that they typically, uh, there are th- thickets, the thorn bushes that grow in there in, the, in that desert. It's a very dry, arid place. And in those, those thickets, the little bit of shade that they provide, oftentimes grass grows up. Well, the, the little sheep, they love to go in there and get that grass. But when they push into those thickets, what happens? All that wool gets caught up. In those, in those thickets. You remember that, uh, that God provided a sacrifice for Abraham in place of his son Isaac by a ram caught in a, in a thicket. And here he is, uh, this is this lamb, he's caught up, and if he's far away from the shepherd, well, there's nobody there to pull him out. He's stuck. He's a, he's a, he's a prime target for whatever predator comes, or he could just be left there to starve. That's why the shepherd always comes looking to find that sheep that has strayed and to rescue him. But even when he gets rescued, you know what? A little, shit, a little, little lamb oftentimes doesn't, doesn't get it. He doesn't learn his lesson. 
And if that little lamb continues to wander off and do that, the shepherd will take that lamb, put him in his arms, take his little, his little leg, and he'll take the rod, and he'll smack that leg, bruise it, hard enough to make it really hurt. It's not uncommon even for them to, to break a leg and do that. They'll take their oil. They will bathe it in oil, make a splint if necessary, and then that shepherd has to carry that little lamb around in his arms. If they're going over here to eat, and he carries him over here and sets him down. Sometimes you've seen the picture. The shepherd has that sheep around his neck. And you think, oh, how cute, that little lamb with his shepherd. Well, I want to tell you, the little lamb doesn't think it's so cute because he's having his soul restored. He's hurting. And then when that shepherd sets him down by his feet, that little, that little lamb is glued to him. Wherever he goes, he hobbles along right beside him because, you see, now he needs the shepherd. He has to have the shepherd to survive. And so he's glued to him. Have you ever been there? You've been in that place where all of a sudden you realize you really need God? If you're going to make it? That you really are dependent upon him? Yeah. And you see, that little uh, lamb's self-will spirit begins to wane. But we're just like that. We run off. We try to handle life on our own. We suddenly find ourselves crippled emotionally, relationally, physically, financially. Uh, Let's be honest. There may be some splints here today. There may be some souls that are wavered, some souls being restored. And if you don't have a splint today, you may have one tomorrow. You see, the Good Shepherd cares too much for us to allow us to continue to be wayward. In love, he has brought you under the smarting discipline of his rod. And he will discipline you. God's primary solution for waywardness is discipline. Let me say that again. God's primary solution for waywardness is discipline. Now, turn with me. Let's pull that back if you don't mind. Um, Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to, while you're turning there, just to give you a little bit of context here. The Jews to whom the book of Hebrews was written were undergoing persecution because of their break with Judaism. The, the persecution that they were experiencing was coming primarily from their friends and from uh, their, their family because they had turned their back on Judaism, the, the customs and traditions that they had been brought up with. And the affliction that they were experiencing came primarily in the form of, you know, social and economic pressure. Though some of them had actually been imprisoned. And and some were beginning to think, well, you know, um, what is, what what is, is this what being a Christian gets you? You know, I have all these problems. I got criticism. I got hardships. Uh, 
uh, you know, I've lost my family, my, my friends, my synagogue, my, tr- my traditions, uh, my heritage, everything. Uh, how much does God expect me to suffer? How much do I have to put up with? Where is God supposed to be when he's, he, when he's supposed to supply all my needs? Isn't that what we learned last week? Do I have to worry? See, there's a lot of questions that come. But I want you to look with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and look at what the writer says. He says, what we need to do, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for, jo- for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which of all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline, for the moment, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for this revelation that you have given us. And we pray that you would help us to understand it and to appreciate it and be able to uh, allow it to be an encouragement to us as we seek to follow you as our shepherd. I I pray, Lord, for your people, those who may be experiencing discipline even in the moment, those who are about to be experiencing discipline, and, Lord, for those uh, that have never come to be your child, we pray that today that you would draw them to yourself. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's apparent that the key word in this passage is discipline. It's used nine times in eight verses. And the root of the word that is translated discipline is child. That's because this word was used to describe whatever a parent or a teacher would do in order to train or correct or cultivate or educate their children in order to help them to mature and become what they ought to be. Now, in the context, the the, the writer is is talking about 
the difficulties or the adversity that comes in a person's life because of discipline. Because it tells us in verse 11, he says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. So he's talking about these, the, the, the adversity, the difficulty that comes. See, if you are a child of God, if you are born again, you will experience his discipline at some point in your life. You can just, you can count on it. So, so you see, that's because God's primary means of dealing with our waywardness is through discipline. So the question comes is, how should we respond to God's discipline in our life? How do we respond when God wants to restore our souls? When God wants to help us to bring us back to where we ought to be? Well, it's simply this. We submit. We surrender. We cooperate with God. We allow God to do what it is that he wants us to do. So, first of all, surrender to the shepherd because of the purposes of discipline. Now, you say, what are the purposes of discipline? Well, there are, there are three. First is correction. We get off course. That's when we are going our own way rather than God's way. And God stops us, turns us around, and directs us the way that we need to go. God uses discipline to do that. Uh, the second way, uh, the second purpose is prevention. Because what God wants us to do is he wants us not to have to experience this at every point in our life. He wants us to learn something from this. And so he's seeking to, to help us to be uh, prevent his discipline on and on and to change the course of our our lives more directly and then there's education see he helps us to understand god's nature our nature how god is working how these things work together so that we don't become discouraged so that we don't become bitter so that we don't misunderstand what it is that god is doing because that's our tendency when God begins to discipline us to, is to misunderstand what God's doing and to have a wrong attitude toward it. So, and the, the writer of Hebrews identifies two primary ways that we wrongly respond to uh, God's discipline in our lives. Now first, look at verse 5. He says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Now notice that the root here is forgetting what God has told us. Let that slip in just for a second. We forget what God has already clearly told us. You see, our greatest need is not for new revelation. Our greatest need is to take the is to grasp the revelation that God has already given us, put into effect what we already know. See, sometimes the answer that we need is not a new truth. It, it's in grasping what God has already shown us, putting it into practice. And, and the Jews in the New Testament time had forgotten a lot of things. 
They had forgotten God's word. They, they had forgotten that, that God isn't pleased with anything that's not of faith. That's what one of the primary uh, concepts in the book of Hebrews. It's about faith. We need to live by faith. And they had also forgotten how God had addressed them as sons from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Now, in, you, in, your, in your New Testament, you'll find that this passage from Hebrews chapter 12, there's, a lot, there's some verses that are all in capital letters. And remember, that means that's a quotation from the Old Testament. And particularly here, this is from Proverbs chapter 3. You know what Proverbs is written to? It's written to us as sons. My son, take my wisdom. Take this understanding. These are things that you need to learn. This is a part of growing up and relating to me as your father. Uh, God is trying to teach us a lot of things. So they had these lessons. They should have already known these things. But they, they've forgotten already what they have been taught, which is so common to all of us. And, and so when you wander away from the shepherd, see, you forget God's exhortations. And so he says, listen, I want to remind you, don't disregard discipline. This is one of those great lessons. Don't disregard discipline. Verse 5, the last part of that says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. You see, we're not prone to disregard our problems. We are prone to disregard the fact that sometimes our problems are the result of God's discipline in our lives. If you don't understand what is happening in your life, that God is using this circumstance, this situation, for his purposes, then it doesn't benefit you. You need to understand that. You need to understand that what is happening right now is God trying to get your attention, trying to turn your heart back to him. He's trying to restore your soul, but you're not getting it. And see, many times Christians are offended by that. Oh, well, God would never discipline me. Or, you know, don't judge me, as the younger culture would say. But listen, you know what that is? That's disregarding the discipline of the Lord. That's taking it lightly. That's ignoring it. And that's what he's saying. You don't, don't push it away. You say, well, how do I know if, if, if God's you know, really disciplining me? Uh, well, ask yourself this question. Or, or ask, answer these questions. Have you become callous to the voice of God? I mean, when God speaks to you, are you really listening? Or do you harden your heart toward it and say, well, that's for somebody else, that's not for me? Or do you, are you soft? When God is, do you really want God to speak to you? Do you really want him to hear what he has to say? And, and if, when he does... Are you receptive to it? Are you changing? Do you find yourself changing your life in submission to God because of what he says? Or do you find yourself leaving here every Sunday the same? See, if you become callous, then sometimes God has to cut deeper in your life to get past those calluses. He has to go down into a place where it's tender, where you can feel it a little more. And say, listen, 
I'm talking to you. Are you complaining about your circumstances? Instead of showing patience and endurance, are you grumbling and griping? Now, you may not accuse God of wrong, at least not in so many words, but complaining amounts to just that. Saying, God, you're just not coming through as a shepherd. Man, you're not doing what I want you to do. And it was interesting, boy, last week I had a lot of conversations with people about the whole issue of worry. Uh, I tell you, sometimes God just doesn't be seen to be doing what we want him to do. And we can't figure that out. But she, when, I, when, when, we're, when we're questioning God, uh, complaining about our, our circumstances, uh, we're putting God in a negative light. Are you questioning God's judgment? See, like complaining, questioning shows a lack of faith. You know, when, when, when children ask their parents why, Usually they're not really looking for a reason. They're, they're asking their parents to justify their reasons for doing what they're doing. They're looking for a justification. You've got to justify yourself to me. In other words, I become the final decider of this. and You've got to prove that your, your reasons are justification enough for me to pass my inspection. And see, when God begins to discipline us, you know, sometimes we, we do, we begin to ask, we begin to question God. Well, God, why couldn't you, well, if you wanted to discipline, why couldn't you have done that? Because, you know, you know I really hate that. Yeah, he knows you really hate that. That's why he picked that, to get your attention. If, if, if God chose financial difficulty for you, you, you say, well, God, you could have, man, couldn't I just got a backache for a, a week or something? You, we got, you know, we were, we're going to question God as to why he chose the thing that he chose to, to give us, just like our children. You know, we spank our children. They think we'd, it'd been better if I just went to bed without supper or something. We got a better way, usually, of doing it. And a parent's discipline, of course, is never perfect, but it's, it, but it's more likely to be appropriate than what the child deems is appropriate. And we need to recognize that the good shepherd's discipline is always exactly what we need exactly what we need because he knows us and often people use their adversity as an excuse for fulfilling their their lust and there's great danger in disregarding God's discipline because God's discipline can become more severe as we disregard it don't disregard God's discipline don't, but then he says, don't be discouraged by discipline. Verse 5 says, nor faint when you are reproved by it. Do you know that people often become bitter and resentful when the good shepherd applies his rod to their life? If you look down in verse 15 of, of Hebrews 12, he says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God that no root of bitterness spring up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. I know many people who are angry and are bitter at God because he brought discipline into their life. 
And they have become discouraged and depressed and sullen and really just, you know, angry at God because of what's, what's going on in their lives. They look around and they say, well, so-and-so over there doesn't have to go with, deal with this. They don't, they're not going through it. Why do I have to go through this? Why, how do they get away with that? And I don't get away with that. See, we sound like children, don't we? Well, don't we sound like, well, why can so-and-so go do that and I can't do that, Mom? Of course, you just give them the standard answer. If everybody's going to go jump off a cliff, you're going to go jump off a cliff, right? <laughs> well, God doesn't do that to us, but... You know, that's what we're saying. We're saying, you know, I don't know why I have to do this. Some people become so overwhelmed with their problem, with the discipline, that they faint. You know what that means? They give up. They become spiritually unresponsive. Uh, they, they collapse. You say, they say, it's too much for me to bear. You're putting too much on me. But I want to remind you what, what the writer says at the first part of that, verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Nobody's killing you because you're trying to follow God at this point, right? You see, two great dangers. Disregarding God's Discipline, making it nothing and becoming discouraged by his discipline. And that, that's important because we need the next part of this. Number two, proof, the proofs of discipline. We need to surrender because of the proofs of discipline. Well, two proofs are mentioned. What are they? Well, first he says discipline proves that God loves you. Discipline proves that, that God loves you. Verse 6. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. The good shepherd restores your soul because he loves you. He cares about you. And, and therefore, whatever you receive from God's hand, including discipline, comes from God's love. You see, God doesn't just make you lie down in green pastures and, and, and lead you beside still waters. He doesn't just meet your physical needs. He is the dealing with your soul, which is far more important. God gives you all those physical things because he loves you, but God restores your soul because he loves you. And it becomes a great, it, it, it's one of those things you see when God gives us something good physically, oh, sure, God loves me. But when God begins to deal with our souls, because they're already wayward, the, the tendency for us to think is, God doesn't love me. If he loved me, he wouldn't let all these bad things happen to me. But the reality is, this discipline indicates that God really does love you. And, and Paul tells us this, he says, be rooted and grounded in love. Th that is, have a settled assurance deep down within you that God really does care about you. We all need that as a foundation. When we face discipline, we've got to keep in mind the reality. God loves me. He's doing this for my good. Did your, ever parent, your parents ever say to you before a spanking, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you? Now, I'm an old man now. 
and some of you not quite as old as me you may not you may not have heard that from your parents but i'm telling you i heard that from my parents my mom would say Kenny, this is going to hurt me worse than it does you and i said yeah right yeah right she's got the switch in her hand and i'm saying yeah right i did not believe that until i became a parent and then when I was standing there with one of my little children and I knew I needed to apply the rod of discipline to their little behinds, I thought to myself, I'm not going to say that to them. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt it. I didn't want to do it. In fact, I would have gladly have taken their spanking, their discipline. I would have taken it. And it really did. It, was, it grieves me. I hated to have to do that. But you know what? I had to see beyond that moment and to see the reality that that child needed desperately to have that discipline in their life. It was good for them. That It was love that actually would give you the motivation to, to do that. God did that for us. He actually took our punishment. He took our whipping. He took it all for us. That's how much he loves us. And yet still, as his children now, he still has to discipline us. And he does it every time in love. And God is far more loving than any human parent. And he suffers when he has to discipline his children. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 31. One of those, one of those, those books that was written right after the, the destruction of, of Jerusalem and the carrying away into the Babylonian captivity. And here's what the writer says. He says, for, for the Lord will not, will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. Why does he do it? Because he loves, for he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. God doesn't want to have to discipline us any more than you want to have to discipline your children. When you discipline your children, oftentimes it not only hurts you, it's it's more difficult for you. It makes life more difficult for you. If you ground them or if you do whatever it is you do, I mean, you've got to be there. It, It takes up your time and your energy as well. But the Lord is tender and he's, and he's careful in his dis- discipline. Nothing is more sensitive than love. And because God loves, with a, uh, loves us with an infinite love, he, he feels what we feel. He doesn't discipline us beyond what we can bear, just like he doesn't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can resist. He, he, he's that kind of God. Listen. Discipline proves God loves you. But discipline also proves that you're God's child. You see what he says in verse 6? And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now, all people are subject to the judgment of God, but not all people are subject to the discipline of God. 
only the sons of God, the children of God, are subject to the discipline of God. Because discipline has as its purpose, remember, correction, prevention, education. But judgment has as its purpose righteousness and justice. And, and God disciplines us because we are his children. It shows we really are his children. Now, let me ask you this. And you don't have to be honest. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. But just think in your own mind. When you see a chi- an unruly child out in public somewhere, have you ever thought, I would like to administer discipline to that child? <laughs> you ever thought that? Probably. But you know what? You might. You might do that. But it would actually probably be more like a little bit more like judgment than discipline. Because, see, you don't have the long-term good of that child at heart. You just like to stop the bad behavior. That's not really your responsibility. See, we don't, we don't discipline other people or other people's children. Uh, we, we, only, we are invested in our own children. And God is invested in his own children. And he does what everything that he does, he does it long-term, systematically, with a heart for the well-being of that child. You see, listen, an, unlo- an undisciplined child is an unloved child. Because when a child is undisciplined, it means that the parent is focused on themselves, not on their, on their children. If you're not disciplining your children, you don't really, you, love, you care more about you and how they might think about you and what everybody else might think about you. And you're, you're, you don't really care about your children. It takes energy. It takes effort. It, it takes work to really discipline your children. I'm telling you, there's, there's, a, there's not a job in the world that is as difficult as raising children. And it takes a lot of energy and effort and love and patience and all those kind of things. But verse 6 says this, that it uses the word scourges, and it refers to a flogging with a whip. It, it, was, it was a severe, painful beating. And the point is, is that God's discipline can sometimes be really severe. Uh, when, when our disobedience is great, when our apathy is great, sometimes that, dis- that discipline will be great. It'll meet, it'll come, rise to the, to the level of our disobedience. And just a brief digression, if you will. By the way, a little commercial. This, um, this January, we're going to be, in the evening, we're going to be having a, a, a study called uh, Parenting, uh, the Art of Parenting. And I would encourage many of you, if you're parents, uh, if you're raising children, I would encourage you, man, to sign up for that. It's going to be great. Um, and, but let me just take a, say a few. Moms and dads, you need to be like your heavenly father. You need to be like the good shepherd. And you need to get yourself a rod. A rod. Yes, I said it. A rod. It's being taped. A rod. <laughs> Come and get me. Take me to jail. Yes, you need a rod. Listen, your children need you. 
to discipline them. And, and I don't care. You, there's a, there are a hundred different ways for you to discipline your children. And you can use them all. That's fine. But I want to tell you this. At the bottom line, at the very base, the foundation of it all is a rod. Because what, whatever, what do you say? Go to your room. And they say, not me. You go to your room. Where do you go from there? You see, if you don't have the rod down, if you don't have an ultimate respect and discipline down there, nothing else is really going to happen. And you're not really dealing with the heart, the attitude. And, and the Proverbs, see, we've forgotten God's Word. We've forgotten what God says. Get a rod. And there's a place for a rod. I'm not talking about abusing your children. I'm not talking about... Um, bringing the blood or any of those kind of things. I'm talking about discipline, a, a basic respect and foundation. You've got to get there. And somebody says, oh, but what about all the abused children in the world? Well, I would ask you, what about all the hypocrites in the church? What about all the counterfeit money that's out there? Do you throw away all your money, take all your cash and throw it in the trash? Because there's some counterfeit money. No, what do you do? You look at each bill and say, okay, that's, that one, I'll keep that one. And listen, that's the way you look at discipline. Discipline, you, you look at it and you say, listen, I've got to do what God tells me to do. It's hard work. It takes diligence. It takes persistence. And it does hurt you more, more often than it hurts them. Without discipline then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Don't treat your children like they're illegitimate. Don't treat them like you don't really care about them. Love them enough to discipline them. And finally, I want to just review very quickly the products of discipline. What happens when we discipline? What happens when God disciplines us? Well, there's four products mentioned here. First is perspective. Look at verse 11. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. I want you to notice what the result of discipline is. Respect. Your children will respect you. Do your children have respect for you? If not, you are not doing a good job of parenting. This is from the Word of God. If your children do not show you respect, you are blowing it big time as a parent. If they're smarting off and talking back to you, you don't have it. You've messed up bad, and you better get on the ball and not let those children do that to you. Or to anybody else. Because you see, the bottom line of discipline is a new perspective. Life is not all about me. That little child needs to understand that. Life is not all about them. And they need to see that there is a respect and an authority. And if they don't have respect for you, they don't have respect for the teacher. They don't have respect for the policeman. They don't have respect for the government. They don't have respect for anybody or anything. Life is all about me. Friend, listen. Listen. They need perspective. And discipline brings a perspective on life that life is not all about me. 
preservation. See verse 11, last part of that. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Do you want to live? Do you want your children to live and to live well? Does God want us to live and live well? Yes. You see, under the old covenant, a son who totally was rebellious toward his parents, if he was this, this extreme case, that child could be stoned, could be taken out of the community. That was very extreme, but it shows how seriously God takes a child's obedience to his parents. And this verse suggests the same severity. Your persistent disobedience brings a persistent discipline and a stronger discipline. Did you know that your disobedience can cause you your life as a child of God? John tells us that there is a sin unto death. Paul talks when he's talking to the Corinthian church about their observance of the Lord's Supper. He says, many of you are sick. That's discipline. Many of you are asleep. That's death. Some of you have died because of your abuse of the Lord's Supper. Do you not know that it's serious business to live in persistent sin as a child of God? And, and, and Preservation. Friend, you, you are a product of discipline as, you, as you, you live. And you become subject to the Father of Spirits. And then there's purity. Verse 10. For they dis- disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. Oh man, every parent makes mistakes. That's understandable, but God never does. And through discipline, God enables us, he corrects us, and that, that correction of heart results in a correction of behavior and it, and it li- results in a purity of, of living, a different way of living because we have our souls restored. And then finally, it brings peace. Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you know that discipline is not meant to be pleasant? If it were pleasant, it wouldn't have a corrective effect. By its very nature, it's not fun to administer and it's not fun to receive. But it does have a peaceful, a quality result. Think about it. Have you ever had to take medicine? Have you ever had to have a surgery or go through physical therapy or chemotherapy or radiation or many of these kinds of things? Have you ever had to do that? None of those things are fun. None of those things are something that you want to do but you're willing to endure that short-term discomfort, inconvenience, because you believe that in the end it's going to have a longer-lasting result. You think there's going to be some kind of benefit for going through that. I mean, if you're going through physical therapy and they're making you move something that just is excruciating every time you move it, Yet you, you're willing to endure that pain because you know that if I can break through that, then I'm going, to be, I'm going to be healthy, I'm going to be well, I'm going to be able to move that thing again. 
And you see, this is what God is, is saying to us about discipline. It, it, it's, for a time, it's very difficult to endure. But it has a, in the end, it has this peaceful fruit. It's called righteousness. The greatest peace you have in your life is when you are right with God in every way. When you're right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, when you're right with God in the way of your attitude and your perspective and the way you're living, that brings an incredible peace to your life. Perhaps you're here today and you find yourself under the discipline of God. You say, what do I do? And by the way, let me say, every difficulty that you face in life is not necessarily the discipline of God. Every kind of every time you have something bad happen doesn't mean necessarily that God is in discipline you. That's something you have to determine. And I think that most of us deep down know when we're not when we've strayed from the shepherd. We know that when we look up and he's not there, we don't sense his presence. We know that. And that's how you tell most of the time you you know. But what do you do? What do I how do I get out from under his rod? You surrender. You submit. You cooperate with him. You receive the gift of repentance. He gives you the gift of repentance when you cooperate with him. You recognize that God is is disciplined because he loves you, because you're his child. And he's doing what is good for you for your benefit. You change your mind, you change your attitude, and that change results in a different way of living. That's repentance. You see, and that's what you need to do today. I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to close your eyes. And I want you to, inside, I want you to lift your eyes. Lift your eyes to the Good Shepherd, to our Heavenly Father. And if you're His child, you know Him. If you know him, and he's truly your father, you can be assured that he loves you. And there's absolutely nothing going on in your life right now he doesn't know about, he doesn't care about. And if you are one, and you say, I, you know, I find myself a long way from the Lord today. Look to him. Cry out to him. Like a little sheep in a thicket. Let him hear your ba. Let him hear your cry. He's looking for you. And that little cry, that little cry from the thicket, it means you, you, you welcome him coming. And picking you up and carrying you back and sitting you by his side. Maybe you just say, Lord, I I don't know how to fix this. I don't even know how to do it. I I don't know how to change things. God, just come and get me. Take, Take me. Carry me back, Lord. Put me at your feet. Let me trust you. Let me trust in you.
Lord, I just, as best I know how right now, I surrender. I surrender my life to you. I surrender all. And I'm going to trust you. Just like I trust you that you're going to meet all my needs. I'm going to surrender all my cares, all my needs to you. And maybe you need to have a specific conversation with God today about, about your cares, about your discipline. And just tell God, I, I, okay, you got my attention. I know it's because you love me. I know it's because I'm your child. I don't want to disregard this. I don't want to get discouraged. I want to submit, and I want to experience the wonderful products that you have for me. Today's the beginning. It's you've already, God, begin to change my perspective. I'm seeing things differently. And I, I'm submitting to you. I want to, I want to pres- be preserved. I want my life to continue in faith in you. I want to know that peace that you have for me. And I want to have that fruit of righteousness and be like you. So I'm trusting you now in this, Lord. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can do that today. You, you, you've heard what kind of shepherd he is, what kind of father he is, how he'll care for you. Most of all, he's already cared for all of your sins. He's already taken that upon the cross and suffered for you. Overcome death. He's greater than any difficulty or adversity you'll ever face. Even sin, even death. If you put your faith in him, he'll give you eternal life and he will be your good shepherd. Just ask him for that. That's all you do. It's a a heart matter. Believe it in your heart. and Just ask him with your mouth and he'll save you. Father, I'm trusting you that you are ministering here in the midst of our people today, meeting needs, changing attitudes. And God, help us now. Help us now to be obedient to what you've shown us and to experience the grace that you give to us through your word. We pray it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.